Good morning, and welcome to the Grace DC Virtual Worship Service. My name is Erwin Ince, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here in our Grace DC network. If this is your first time joining us for worship virtually, I want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us. For our Grace DC members and attendees, welcome to you as well. We are so longing for the day that we will be able to gather together again on Sunday in person for worship. However, Washington DC has just said that our stay-at-home orders are extended to at least June 8th. And so we do not yet have a projected date when we will be able to come back together in our various congregations for in-person worship. Until then, know that the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit still delights to, to meet with you, to bring you into his very presence, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we do, even virtually, do a call to worship every time we are together, knowing that it is God himself who summons us through Jesus Christ into his presence for worship. A call to worship this morning comes from selected verses from Psalm number 34. I'll read uh, the part where it says, leader, and you will respond in the bold text. Let's do this call responsibly. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord that the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, it is our desire this morning that we would magnify your name, that we would know experientially through this worship that we would taste and see that you are good. Would you be pleased, Lord God, to do as only you can, open our eyes to see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to love you with all that we are. Open our minds to embrace the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Better make, shape, form, equip us today for people who live not for ourselves, but for your glory to the praise of your glorious grace. And we ask it in your name. Amen.
come now to the time in our worship service where we worship God, responding to his invitation to confess our sins, to repent of our sins, and to receive uh, the word of forgiveness, the assurance of his pardon, knowing that he is faithful, he is righteous, he is just, that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I invite you now uh, to join me in this corporate prayer of confession, and then take a few moments to silently confess and reflect yourself, and then we will receive the words of assurance, encouragement, and pardon. Let's pray together now. Our Father in heaven, your word tells us that with you all things are possible. Your word tells us that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. You are a God who will do the impossible to bring your purposes to pass. And yet we regularly live by sight and not by faith. In your mercy, forgive us. Remove our doubt and secure our hope in Jesus Christ. Amaze us with grace, blood-stained, incarnate, messianic grace, the glory of God in Christ. Amen. Take a moment now for silent confession. Hear these words of assurance and encouragement from John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. The Lord Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is good news. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 11, 29 to 31. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning again, friends. My name is Duke. I'm one of the pastors here in the online version of the Grace DC Network. Let's pause before we turn our attention to God's word. Let's pause and pray together. Father, we ask that you would come and be present. You, you tell us your word brings your presence into our lives. We pray that we would know that God is here. Open our hearts by your spirit. Thank you for your word. We cling to it, we cling to you for life itself. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've got a question on my mind. It's been on my mind for a little while now, and I wonder if I could start off by posing it to you. What do you think the biggest challenge that you're facing really is today? What is your biggest challenge? Of course, I don't know the different trials and circumstances in your life. I can only assume, given what's going on these days, that your trials are many. 
some big, some small, all of them challenging. But I want to suggest to you that the Bible gives us a, a unique perspective as to the answer to that question. And it's a perspective that we've been examining and learning about in our study of Hebrews chapter 11 throughout the last couple of weeks as we've studied the topic of faith. And it's this thought that your and my greatest challenge right now is not the challenge of solving our circumstances, it is not the challenge of overcoming them either. Your and my greatest challenge, our greatest challenge today is not getting around our circumstances, but rather walking through them by faith. That is, by exercising active trust in the promises and the reality of God, even in the midst of our most pressing and difficult trials. The Bible says our, our, our biggest goal, therefore, is not to remove ourselves from these challenges, even if we had the power to do that, but rather placing our hope and trust in God, walking faithfully, persevering, faithfully, persevering by faith in the midst of our trials. Have you thought of things in that fashion lately? You see, because faith isn't something that you do and isn't something you exercise on occasion. The way that the Bible talks about faith is that it is an outlook to all of life. It is, in fact, an orientation towards God and the world before us. To put it another way, faith is like a lens by which you see all things. So, for example, if I were to take some of these lenses that my kids play with on occasion and put this on, if, if this were, say, the lens with which I walk through all of life, I would see everything, the trees and people and the homes around us, with a little bit of a brownish tint, apparently with some fingerprints in front of me all the time. This is the lens through which I would see all of life. It would change how I viewed reality, wouldn't it? Or how about this pair of lenses here? This one, now, this one might make me feel a little bit more confident about my appearance before the world, a little bit more swag, but this one has a, a, a special feature that would give me a sense of all of life being black and white stripes. Uh, I, I, I would look out and everything would be colored, or rather striped, by these lenses. It would surely change my view of all things, wouldn't it? What would a lens of faith, believing in the goodness of God, be like in all of life? Believing in the faithfulness of God, believing in the provision of God, believing in the resurrection of Christ, believing in the love of God, believing in the presence of God, how would that change every day, every moment, every trial? to wear those lenses and to look out upon all things. You see, this is what we're invited into in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. 
as we're given not just a technical definition of what faith is, as if it's just something to learn and then apply, but rather story after story after example after example of how faith is lived out in real life so that we might together fashion ourselves with new lenses to see what living by faith and walking by faith looks like. So that God and his grace might become slowly the lens by which we see and judge all things to evaluate what is true, what is real, and what is satisfying in life. Because our normal way of glancing at things is to only walk by sight, what feels right to me, what looks true to me. God says there's another way to live. It's living by faith. Today we have three different stories that go back to the Old Testament, take us back to the Old Testament, three stories that we're considering, considering in the, the few verses that we have in front of us. They come from Exodus chapter 14, Joshua chapter 2, and Joshua chapter 6. I invite you to go back and, and read those stories on your own later on, but let me just go ahead and summarize them for you. The first story that's referred to in our passage here goes back to the story of the Exodus, the liberation of God's people from bondage in Egypt. As we know in that story, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he declares, even demands on God's behalf, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God sends plagues upon Egypt, locusts and frogs and murder hornets, or something like that. And after a long time of suffering in the land of Egypt, finally, long story short, Pharaoh releases the Israelites. They are free. Until, that is, Pharaoh changes his mind, and so he sends out his armies, horses, and chariots to go chase after the Israelites who have already gone their way out into the wilderness, into freedom, out of captivity. And so suddenly the Israelites, with only a little bit of freedom having been tasted by them, find themselves trapped with the Red Sea in front of them with nowhere to go, with mountains on either side of them with nowhere to escape, and Pharaoh's army coming behind them quickly, ravenously, to capture them and to take them back to the land of bondage. God, of course, delivers his people, sends a wind overnight to separate the waters, opens up a way for God's people to pass through. They, of course, needed to step out in faith, and through that, they were delivered from Pharaoh's army. Forty years later, it was finally time for the Israelites to receive their inheritance, the promised land. So it was time to overtake Jericho, the first step in the conquest of the land of Canaan. Jericho was a city-state fortified by very large walls, a strong people, and a strong city. So Joshua, who by this time was the leader of God's people, sent out two spies uh, to go do some reconnaissance, check out the land, find out some ways in, get some information for the attack that was to come. And so they hid in a house of a woman by the name of Rahab. 
she not only hid and protected these two spies, she also professed to them these words of faith. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land, the Lord your God. He is God of heaven and earth. Already by faith, she had given her allegiance to them and to their God. The two spies then promised that they would preserve Rahab and her family because of her kindness, because of her faith. And so finally, on the day of attack, God gave them the most unusual instructions, all the people of Israel. He told them to do these unusual things, and perhaps even more unusually, they actually did them. Once a day, the men marched around the walls of the city silently. The priests marched together with them with horns that served as trumpets and carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very presence of God. They did this every day, one lap around the city walls, one day, uh, every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and on the seventh lap around, they lifted up a great shout with those trumpets blaring, and the walls fell flat. Not because their shouts were so great or their trumpets were so blaring, but because of the power of God, which they received by faith. The walls fell down, and Jericho was taken. These are the stories that are in the writer of the Hebrews book that he had in mind. And so we turn to these, and I want to bring out to you two lessons I think that we find. Two brief lessons. We'll look at them and take them to heart. First of all, it's the foolishness of faith. And secondly, we learn about the graciousness of faith. First, the foolishness of faith. Secondly, the graciousness of faith. When God rescued the Israelites, he parted the waters of the Red Sea, and we're told that what we had on the left and the right of them was a wall of water on either side of them. How high that wall extended, I don't know. What it looked like, we can't be sure. We're told they walked on basically dry ground as they passed through that sea into freedom. But you can imagine the intimidating, even threatening sight that those walls of water were. Uh, what kind of trust in God's power and provision it required of them to actually take those steps one by one across that way. Sure, they had no other place to go, but it took faith. It took trust. But surely there was someone in the mix in the company of the Israelites that maybe even said out loud or at least to himself or herself, look, I don't want to be that person, that guy, uh, but uh, you guys, I don't know if this is a good idea. Because it defied reason, didn't it? It defied all normal sense of safety. You might even say it was a little bit foolish for them to step out through that sea that day. Then also, of course, the people of Israel marching around those walls in Jericho, as they didn't wield sword or weapon, 
but instead simply marched with their feet and of all things silently, bearing the full brunt of their, well, weakness, their nothingness, bringing nothing but, well, the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant, but at least to the sight of the citizens of Jericho peering over that wall, surely some of them were saying, look at them, this army that looks more like a marching band. Surely the Israelites that day looked foolish, that week looked foolish, doing nothing but walking around these large fortified walls. And surely as Rahab was promised by those two spies that they would be preserved because of her faith, because of her welcoming of those spies and her, her, the assistance that she gave to them. Uh, surely someone in Rahab's family was tempted to say, uh, so why exactly are we placing our fate, our very lives, into the hands of these enemies? I mean, I'm sure they're good guys, but their whole army is coming quick. Can we escape out the back door? It was foolish. It was foolish for them to stay unless they believed in the wisdom of God and the power of God. This was true of every person listed in this chapter of Hebrews that exercised unusual faith. I mean, you might remember from a few weeks ago, Noah looked like a total hippie building a big boat in the middle of a desert because he believed God's word that there would be a flood coming their way. Moses looked like a total prude when he refused to indulge himself in the pleasures of Egypt, even though as a prince of Egypt, he had every pleasure at his disposal. Walking and living by faith, putting on these lenses, sometimes will make us look foolish in the eyes of the world, even our own eyes. Sometimes by the calculus of the world, our decision to walk by faith, trusting in God, will look foolish. Are we prepared for this? Do we know this about the nature of the lenses of faith that we're putting on? John Calvin, centuries ago, commented on this passage that all the characters mentioned here from the Israelites to the people of God marching around the walls of Jericho, that they all appeared, he said, childish and ridiculous. And that's what makes faith sometimes so challenging, because those are the last things that we want to be, uh, that we want to appear as, want to be known for, being childish and ridiculous. It means sometimes for some of us, if, if you live in a way where you want to keep fortifying your own self-image, uh, maybe you really are committed to this sense that I need to look smart in my own eyes. I need to always be put together. I need to always be in control and never feel weak. Then you will struggle to live by faith if it's true that sometimes living by faith looks and feels foolish. Or that means if you are someone who struggles like I often struggle with, uh, with uh, living for the approval of other people where you need them, to think that you're smart or put together or in control, making smart choices and decisions, then you will struggle to live by faith because living by faith 
though it is the wisdom and power of God, often leads you to live in ways that look foolish. Living by the truth of God will sometimes feel untrue. Living by the power of God will sometimes feel weak. Of course, the culmination and climax of this way of seeing the world, of course, we find in the cross of Christ, which the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, In the eyes of the world, through the lenses of the world, Jesus, his death, looked to be foolishness and weakness, though it was the wisdom of God and the power of God for our salvation. So what's it going to be for you? What lens will you put on? How will you walk? Will you believe in God's promises, even when it might look and feel foolish to you, to others? But will you believe that God's way his lens is true, is power itself, is reality itself, is a way of walking in light of the love of God. Secondly, we see not only the foolishness of faith, we also see the graciousness of faith. Sometimes we think we need to exercise a perfect faith. We believe that if, if I'm going to trust God or do this Christian life at all, then, then it must be that God is expecting me to be perfect or to exercise a perfect trust. And if not, I'm not even going to try. Sometimes we forget that even trusting in God itself is by grace. Did you know that when the Israelites got stuck in front of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army pursuing them, did you know that they actually started complaining and saying to Moses, you know, it would have been better for us just to stay in Egypt serving those good, fine people, the Egyptians, rather than to die here in the wilderness? I mean, can you imagine the ingratitude more than that the silliness, the myopia, the blindness to what was just their prior experience only days before, slavery. And yet they were saying, better for us to go back there than for us to be out here. They were sinful, ungrateful, forgetful. Do you know that Rahab, this great heroine of faith, was really the least likely person that you might expect to exercise faith in God at all. Not only was she a foreigner and therefore an outsider of the covenant community of Israel, which meant that she didn't have years of Bible study under her belt, didn't even know enough of the promises of God that she could recite, let alone put her trust in. She was also not just a foreigner, but part of an enemy foreign nation, one that Israel was actually just about to fight. And then, of course, not only that, she was also a prostitute, an image bearer, yes, but one who was engrossed in a tragically sinful life. Rahab was utterly and absolutely the last person that you might have expected, not just in the Bible, but in Jericho itself, to have been honored as one that would be a recipient of God's grace, that she might put her trust in God and be saved. She 
and they, Rahab, and these broken Israelites here are the same people mentioned in the very same breath as Abraham, as Noah, as Moses, as these other great exalted heroes of faith. Beloved, even faith is by grace. Is there some way in which you have been maybe distancing yourself from walking by faith because you feel ashamed, feel like you've just screwed up too much, feel like you haven't been really living up to what you think God requires of you to even be able to ask things of him in prayer, to even be able to believe in his promises and walk in light of his love? Have you been disqualifying yourself from God's grace, even in ways that God himself has not disqualified you? Because he knows he's asking a faith from weak and broken people like you and me. Faith itself is by grace. You don't need to clean yourself up to come to God and to exercise trust in him. You don't need to be really anything. Calvin, again, commenting on this passage, says, It hence follows that those who are most exalted are of no account before God unless they have faith, and that, on the other hand, those who are hardly allowed a place among the profane and the reprobate are by faith introduced into the company of angels. Behold this a long history of people that have lived according to the lens of faith. What an upside-down list. What an upside-down history. People that seem to be at the bottom of the religious world, in fact, because God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace, are at the top of the list. Broken people, weak people, sinful people, by grace, putting their faith in a great God. Walking by faith. Not because we can, but absolutely because we can't. Because God is gracious to sinners. Uh, Dear friends, do you know that God loves you in your weakness? That God will grant you faith. That God will receive you in all of your brokenness and sinfulness and disqualifiedness. And he will be near you and give his presence to you. The way the story of the conquest of Jericho ends in Joshua chapter 6 is amazing. Because we're told at the end there, one of the last sentences in the story says this, And she, referring to Rahab, has lived in Israel to this day. Which tells us that she was not only rescued and then with her family went on their way. No, no, no. They actually were enveloped, included, welcomed into the family of Do you know what we find in Matthew chapter 1, where we have this genealogy that begins the very gospel of Jesus Christ? If you trace down a little bit down a couple of verses, you find a reference to Solomon, uh, this man who apparently uh, married this woman named Rahab. And and Rahab and Solomon together had a son uh, whose name was Boaz. Boaz married this woman, a Moabite, whose name was Ruth. And Ruth then had a child by the name of Obed, and Obed had a child by the name of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, had a son whose name was David, the great king of Israel. 
And then the story goes on and on. And of course, from the very line of David, eventually we find the great Messiah, Jesus himself, the son of David, the king of kings. Do you see, friends, Rahab, by exercising faith, by trusting in God, despite all her not measuring upness, became the great, great grandmother of the greatest king of Israel and the great, 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 great grandmother of the king of kings, Jesus. Do you know that this is what faith does? This is what faith is. Taking every person that has no right to be in God's presence and exalting them to the highest stature in humility, in brokenness, in weakness, in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, of course, was kind of like his great, 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 great grandma. He was an unlikely person to fill the shoes of the great promised Messiah. He wasn't a prostitute, but he was accused of cavorting with them lived with a sordid reputation in the eyes of the world, especially the religious leaders, was sort of a nobody in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, didn't have fame and fortune, in fact, lived homelessly for most of his life. Eventually, he was rejected by his very own, died friendless, died, well, fatherless, even as he suffered for our sins on the cross. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the one himself, who became a fountain of grace to the least of these, to you and to me. And it's by his power that he enables us to trust in him, that we might walk by faith, live by faith, and that we might trust that God's way is truth, even when it feels and looks untrue, is wisdom, even when it looks and feels foolish. This is the salvation of our God. This is the hope that we have to walk by faith, to put on these new lenses, no matter what trials might be in front of you. Beloved, will you receive this invitation of grace, this promise of God loving you, even in the way that he blesses you, with faith itself, to walk in light of his love? Let's pray together. King Jesus, we ask that you would Come and send your spirit that we could walk in light of your love and walk by faith. That we would know and expect that sometimes that will look and feel foolish and yet it is the very power and wisdom of God. That we would cling to Jesus and his grace knowing that you love us even in our weakness, even in our sin. And so we exalt in you, we rejoice in you, fill our hearts today and give us strength, we pray in Jesus' name.
And now receive this benediction blessing from God himself. Receive his favor from 2 Corinthians. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week, everyone, living in light of God's love.